0: Welcome to the BTN Europe Week in Review podcast. I'm Mark Freire, your host. This week we look at the world of TMCs. As furlough schemes around the world unwind, we're starting to see how TMCs are having to reshape themselves for a world in which business travel does not look like it will resume any time soon. We heard this week that more than 3,000 staff at BCD Travel would be let go by the end of the pandemic, for example, and others are sure to follow elsewhere in the sector. It seems timely, then, that the Business Travel Association here in the UK has launched a consultation looking at TMC pricing. Clive Ratton, the chief executive of the BTA, said in recent years, there have been growing calls for evolution in the way TMCs price their services. The impact of COVID-19 on our industry has made that need more vital than ever. The eight-week consultation seeks input from across the business travel sector and proposes three different options, transaction fees, management fees or subscription fees. The organization says it's not preempting the outcome of the consultation by favoring any one of these. Rattan says he wants an open, honest and constructive dialogue. So we're hoping to start some of that dialogue today. And I'm delighted to be joined again by our expert panel to discuss this issue.
1: My name's Dave Bishop. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer of Grey Doors, a UK based TMC.
2: Karen Hutchings, the Global Head of Travel Meetings and Events at EY.
1: This is Daniel
3: Talos. I work for Nike as your email travel manager.
4: Hello, my name is Paul Tilstone, Managing Partner from Festive Road, the consultancy on a mission to create better travel and meetings management.
0: It's great to have you all with us again today for this. Starting with you, Paul, um, do you think this consultation is overdue?
4: Um, Well, I I think first of all, I'd like to say it's great to see uh, a sort of coordinated and concerted effort uh, by the organisation on this particular subject. I'd say the new pricing focus is primarily driven, I think, by exposure of the risk to the existing TMC model when the transaction stops. And the thing is, it, it does need much more consideration than t- just being a model which protects the TMC. And there's, there's all sorts of things to think about here, which I'm sure we'll get into in a second. I guess the other, the other thing to say is, I mean, this is something that I think has been an, an underlying theme for actually quite some years. And when uh, my business partner, Carol, Caroline and I started our partnership when I was CEO of ITM and she was the chair. We embarked on a, a paper with, which the, the previous incarnation of BTA, known as GTMC, about exactly this. And you know, we ended up talking about activity-based co- costing, about different TMC service configurations, about the money flow and transparency, and all of those things need to be factored in to the discussion, not just about shifting the risk from the uh, the TMC to the buyer. So you know, I think. It's, it's important, but it's not something that will well that needs to be changed and implemented overnight. It needs careful consideration,
0: apart from catering for the short-term needs of the TMC, which is also something we'll talk about. Uh, Dave, as a TMC, I mean, do you think this is something that needs to be done, and has it been accelerated by the pandemic?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I took part in some of the research on the white paper. And so I think it's definitely welcomed, uh, and, it, and it's and it's super timely as well. I think one of the kind of key things, if, if you read the the white paper is we we go back on this, the TMC income stream is kind of, is very much a kind of point of tension between buyers, consultants and, and some commentators and the TMC community themselves. You know, I think the, if, if I look at average TMC profits, they're not abnormal. You know, we're looking at average TMC net profitability last year pre COVID, which was kind of less than 1%. Which is terrible considering the complexity of, of uh, managing a TMC and, the, and really the demands on investment that, that we have to make. I think the simple fact at the moment is with transaction fees, a TMC prices, it doesn't cost. So that what we charge to process a transaction doesn't really bear any relation to the what it actually costs us to, to manage that whole business. And that's really borne out in the fact that those kind of super low profits that, that, we, that TMCs in average see. And the reason we price is the market's competitive. You know, one TMT will do it for X and someone will do it for cheaper. And that kind of really kind of drags the average down. So clients don't pay that full ride for service in the business. So our industry has had to look at alternative streams to create a working profit. It's led to, you know, our direction as a business is around retailing. It's around selling more of that trip. Things that hopefully our customers want to buy. So that's kind of how we generate more revenue. But I think the important thing is what the last seven months has shown us is that as a community, we do a lot for our customers and have done a lot for customers that isn't necessarily hasn't been compensated by revenue account management, refund management, reservations. I mean, just that one piece, you know, our staff costs for reservation staff for an offline booking, staff costs are the largest part. And our productivity has been shot to pieces the last seven months because it takes so long to book a ticket. And all that's done is destroyed TMC profitability even further. I think it's welcome that we look at this, particularly in light of the, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that as we're being asked in RFPs about our financial stability, so it's even more important to have, to be profitable and and have a long-term future. What I think is unwelcome is that potentially, you know, we'll do more work for for less revenue because that will only make the situation worse. And that's not in the interests of of a a vibrant supply chain. I think from, from our perspective, It's welcome, but I'm cautious because it all depends on how the buyers react.
0: So, Karen, are you happy with the status quo? I mean, um, you know, transaction fees work in in a lot of ways that are beneficial for corporates.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, the transaction fee, though, puts all the risks, quite frankly, on the agency. And I think if we are good corporate citizens we need to really think about whether that's the right thing to do or not you know ultimately we want a business that's sustainable and everybody does need to make some sort of profit somewhere and so I think the model as it stands especially if you were on pure transaction fee puts a massive amount of risk to the agency. Um, I think that this is done actually as well though because you know we've we've looked you know within ey is helped us come up with an overview of the value that the agency brings because i think sometimes that's missed Because I don't think people truly understand just the breadth and to David's point of the things that are involved and how vital the agency has been as an example for all the repatriations that have gone on over the last several months. So actually, I think this gives us an opportunity to really be able to demonstrate that. And I think as well, once you can demonstrate the value, then it's easy to get the buy-in to be able to pay. One thing I will say, though, and I actually had this conversation with our agency at the time was that if there are clients out there that are not willing to change and will keep the onus on the agency all the time, I hope the agencies consider walking away from that piece of business because otherwise if they don't, for the ones that are being the good corporate citizens, you almost feel like you're paying for the non-delivery of other customers, shall we say. So I think that we as corporates, as the clients, should actually be fair to the agencies and actually support and push this change and then demonstrate the value that they bring internally.
0: Uh, Daniel, I was just going to ask you, I mean, clearly, the industry already is, you know, very much on based on transaction fees. I mean, the leading 50 TMCs that we do at BTN Europe comes out something like, you know, 85% are on transaction fees. Do you think TMCs will be able to get buyers to transition to other pricing models?
3: I think it's it's going to be very tough, um, especially with the uh, bigger customers who are more established and 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 have resources around uh, building their their program. I think with smaller ones, I think the the, the implementation of contact fees is, is has been happening, right? So trying to really uh, steer away from. Transaction fees and 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 bringing the notion of what is really the the cost of the labor that is put in to get information to help us um, navigate in this environment. I I you know I, I also wanted to reflect to to the first question because I think that fundamentally what Paul was reflecting to as also other factors affecting the transaction fee, namely supplier revenue, is is actually a big. This has been a big, big impact on, on on what could be done on the transaction side, and that was also. I think a main driver why TMCs have been articulating in transaction fees as opposed to trying to create value, as 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 Karen said, and and trying to maybe come up with with other models. I think there's a there has been a very high dependence on supply revenues. Generally speaking, p and have been very dependent on those. Now we have in a situation where uh, most of these has completely have completely evaporated, and there's a high probability that they will be not coming back very soon. So I think there's, there's a big switch and, and a potential uh, opportunity now in the short term to really get away from, uh, from a heavy supplier revenue uh, dependence. And that will mean also increasing transaction fees or fees in general. But at least it will create potentially more transparency around what is really the cost and what is the value. I think that's, that's another thing. And, and I would really appreciate if, if there was also a white paper about TMC's
0: ability to articulate value. Like, what is what is that really beyond transactions? I mean, it's interesting I, you say that, Daniel, because um, the uh, PTA consultation, as part of that, they said that the average income for TMCs was one-third through fees to corporate clients and two-thirds to suppliers. So um, I don't know if, uh, Dave, you wanted to uh, address that issue and whether uh, that dependency you could be weaned off that. I don't think he does looking at his face.
1: No, I, you know, I, I think a third is a conservative number. Some TMCs are more you know, and, and some are less. If you, if you uh, adopt a, a retailing approach and you kind of maybe change your fee structure, then that percentage that you rely on fees actually reduces because you've been innovative, you've, you've invested in technology that allows you to take more of that trip, which is kind of value add to the client and is value to the agency itself. Mark, I remember I spoke at one of your conferences years ago talking about you you looking at universities and there was a big brouhaha in the room when we started looking at GDS sector fees. And there was a requirement for the, the universities in the room wanted to try and secure that income. And again, this is about, you know, that's fine. You know, we can, you can have a transparent financial model, but then you've got to pay more of what it actually costs for us to service the account. And it's a trade-off. You know, if you're making what I call not healthy profits for the long term, then you can't take away some of that income stream and not and not recompense with with higher fees. It's a kind of, it's a delicate balance that we work. I think there's, as a TMC, I think they would be willing to go, look, this is what we earn, but... You can't just take that without something back on the other side. Otherwise, that's just going to make the situation even worse, particularly right now at the moment.
4: It's not necessarily about taking that money away, though, David, is it? I mean, this original report we did, actually, the key theme that emerged was corporates don't necessarily want that money or they don't necessarily want that money to disappear. What they want to understand is whether that money influences anything in the service that's provided to the corporation and just to be very clear that it it isn't. And I think the premise here is This is an amazing point in time just to press the reset button. And there's all sorts of things that are influencing that. You know, one is actually those those supplier revenues, whether it's 60 percent, 80 percent, or you're actually only relying on them for a very small percentage because you're deciding which model to use. Those supplier revenues are likely never to be at the level that they were before. So you're going to have to think about your model from that point of view. The second thing is. The balance of risk, to Karen's point, risk and reward. It's a beautiful point in time to think long term about that. But I think there's two phases here. One is how do we ensure that the TMCs are being rewarded for the extra work they're doing now, which isn't contracted, whether that's doing refunds, whether it's highly more complex booking processes because of all the information that's needed. That's the immediate thing that needs addressing. Longer term, the, the deep like remuneration model and relationship between the corporate and the buyer and the supplier, I think there's sort of three fundamental components and these came out during a ProcureCon conversation we had. One is relationship fundamentals. So that's, yes, transparency is a key factor, but actually this is about trust and value. If you know what value you're getting and you have trust with your partner because you have the right level of transparency, boom, number one, ticked. Second one is new value. There is untapped value. TMCs are being paid for things that aren't valuable and they're doing things which are valued which they're not being paid for and this is a chance to rethink that. And then the third thing is, I think then any new models need to have something that incentivizes tech adoption to bring efficiencies. At the moment, the TMCs aren't really incentivized when it comes to driving tech adoption. Second thing is something that recognize activity based pricing. So they're rewarded for the amount of work they do. And then thirdly, something that drives, that recognizes satisfaction, whether that's the corporation satisfaction or the end use of the customer's. And if you can get those three bits into any
0: revision, I think you're on a pretty good pathway. Karen, uh, I think this is a good point for you to come in here. Are buyers generally, I mean not, not just yourself, willing to pay for those sort of value-added consultancy services and also, and I'm glad Paul brought this up, um, about the technology because we're increasingly looking at implementing that new technology to make these things work. But somebody has got to
2: pay for that. If it comes down to the seat at the table that you have within your own organisation as well, I think. Um, I think sometimes people aren't actually having those discussions and actually demonstrating internally to their leadership potentially how vital the role is of the agency. So I think there's an element that that needs to be elevated in any company so that it's seen as a service that's absolutely vital and required. I think when it comes to looking at like the technology offerings as an example, I think here is where there is a bigger opportunity for the agencies so to do and pivoting themselves. Because I think the reason why the travel industry was so disrupted is because many of the technologies within it were archaic. And so that's why you had so many of these startups out there coming up with new ideas of different things that they wanted to implement or that could make a difference to a program. So I think how the agencies either work with the startups or the new companies all embrace it themselves and come up with those ideas will actually give them then more value to the corporates because ultimately we want the agency process to be efficient and the reason why many of these technologies came up was because it wasn't. So it's like, well, how do you bring that then? And then what can you charge for that? Because it does make the, the lives easier, for example, for our employees. So, I mean, I think to Paul's point, you know, this is a real reset button now. And you, you don't want to waste the opportunity because the airlines and the hotels and all of their remuneration models are going to change completely because they're in such dire straits themselves. So they're going to need to look at what their distribution is and how they reward agencies or pay agencies for the work that they do. And so for me now, it is really an ideal opportunity for that reset to happen. Um And we all need to be in it together, though. We keep saying this each week about how the suppliers, the buyers, agencies, etc. have to be in it together. And this is just another example um, that we all need to be playing the right game here collectively as well and not trying to have one-upmanship going on because it, just, it will fail then if that's the case.
0: Daniel, what are your thoughts on paying for for those value-added services? Is your company and and when you talk to other buyers, are they willing to pay for, for these sort of consultancy services?
3: I think it depends on the company's objectives, right, and how they position travel in general. I think more and more organizations recognize that travel is not a commodity. It's not like any other service or any other product that they are buying, and the opportunities around travel are, are much bigger. It comes down to really to the TMC's ability to articulate what is the value really, you know, what they can bring actually to, to a customer. And that comes down to, I think, understanding the, the company's objectives and really not trying to sell you know box from boxes or from, from the shelf, but, but rather really go for a, a customized solution. And 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 you know I think that's that's feasible. I think we are we are PMCs need to get better is really articulate that value. And they, they are the experts, right, in this space. So so I think it, it's not fa- an unfair expectation to, to be able to tell that story.
4: Just say I, I think we are seeing some of that happening I, was, I saw yesterday Gant travel at btN innovate had, had launched their um, uh, new service, which essentially is a kind of independent traveler profile management system where you can ensure you can link it directly to suppliers or that that's a really bold step but I think that's that's what needs to happen and some of the work we did before, you know, identified three areas of value that, that TMC should be developing and should be charging for. The power of personalization. And I'd say that profile management falls into that category. The servicing real time, which is becoming increasingly important in, uh, and what we call total travel management. And that last bit is the kind of consulting bit. And if your question is there, you know, are they able to charge for the value in consulting? I mean, that's our business. That's what we do. We get paid as a business solely for delivering value to the corporate in consulting gigs. So, yes, absolutely, there's money in it. I think you need to ensure you're delivering incredible value in those environments, and there is an opportunity to. But I also think TMC Consulting Arms there is another consideration, which is the independence from the operation of the TMC. So a TMC consulting arm is unlikely to help you find your next TMC. If it's helping you to devise other parts of your program, again, going back to that value, trust and transparency, that's got to be in place for you to trust the consulting arm as well.
1: You know, I think from, from our perspective, you know, if if a client isn't willing to pay for consultancy, then I think you know it's, it's down to two things. Either you don't have a clear value proposition, or if you do, you're really poor at selling it. I think traditionally TMCs and this is not kind of the megas but this is the, the other agencies traditionally they you know account management has been a jack or jill of all trades they've done everything and that really kind of create an, a rod for, for our backs as it becomes difficult to charge for services that previously you, you you provided free of charge and this is kind of where you know festive Road and other agencies have have flourished because they've they've, they've been you know been able to professionally sell and de- and deliver you know awesome value We've started a consultancy arm. We actually look after clients that don't travel with us at all. So we're just doing elements of the travel. We'll, yeah, we'll never do a travel RFP because you know we could never be that independent. But it's actually allowed us to, you know, having, having that division has allowed us to articulate value in a very different way to our customers. You know, in terms of when I look at the ROI, the demonstrable ROI. It's been amazing how we've been able to go back and say, We said we do the you know, we said to do these things in this order using these levers, the twenty eight levers that, that that we have in our programme, and then look at the look at the results. And that gives us a very different professional relationship with our clients and takes us out of we're just a commodity. So we treat more as a as a professional services, which can only be a good thing for our industry, I feel.
4: It's, it's your point, Dave. It, it, it's, I think you said, you know, you said earlier on that the TMC servicing's become a bit commoditized because there's, there's so much supply out there. Maybe one thing that COVID does is, you know, is some of the agencies that don't have enough cash or they can't find their right place in the world. You know, unfortunately they'll disappear, but if that supply reduces and it means actually the TMCs can stand up a bit taller and say, you know, we're not, throwing this, bundling this into the to the pricing, some free consulting because we have to to try and win the project. You can yeah. actually start to determine that real value. I think that would be really good for professionalizing further, professionalizing the sector.
1: And we're doing it. You know, we're having a you know a whole series of training sessions across our whole sales and account management uh, team. And one of the sessions we had yesterday was just on that point. You know, how do you negotiate? How do you do it professionally that allows the the relationship to move forward? And these are things that you know because of COVID 19, we've had the time and the space. Place to be able to do this how to trade you know when to say no the power of silence you know all the things that normally you just you assume everyone knows how to do it but it's given us that that window to be able to upskill our teams in order for us to be way more professional in what we do and that will generate long-term survival of, of our business which is clearly you know a priority at the moment for us
4: it's a really and good we- point consulting is very different to account management. Consulting sometimes is just about asking the right question and keep going with that question until you get an answer, then you can help them to devise the solution. Whereas account management is a function on customer satisfaction, on the provision of data, all those sorts of components. And I think that it's good splitting those two out.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of separate. And you, you're right, particularly on the questioning. You know, there's the kind of the old kind of theory of the five whys. You, you ask why five, you keep on going down and down the line of why. And then eventually you get what the issue is and you think, that's what I can solve. I can put a plan yeah. in place and here you go. Whereas account management generally is a lot more higher level than that. It's something that has helped us to win business and it's also helped us to retain business. You know, have it, having that as part of our armory. But the clear thing is we don't do it for free. Because if you do that, you've destroyed all of the value that you deliver.
0: So on that point, we we agree that account management is a a good thing. Do we see that management fees might come back? Obviously, they were much more commonplace in the past when there was a a different business model in the industry. And do you think, Karen and Daniel particularly, that you could go back to your CFO and say, I need money to pay a management fee now because I need a, a trusted partner that can sort this out for me?
2: i don't necessarily know whether management fees need to come in as they were but i think there needs to be some sort of minimum guarantee revenue that an agency can earn because ultimately if you want to have your self-service then there is a cost to that and i think that's the important thing is that you know if you want to retain staff that know you as a customer and know you you know your various things that are expected um, policies etc then there has to be a fee for that. So whether it needs to be full management fee or whether it can be like some sort of hybrid um, but I do think though that yeah that that has to be expected now because otherwise how can the agency sustain keeping people on if they're not going to have some sort of guarantee of getting paid for those people because that's the reality of where you are at the minute and why you're seeing so many cuts at the moment in the agencies because they've not got the business coming through to retain the people. You know we're going through something with our agency at the moment. I think we've done a good job of demonstrating internally anyway what the agency brings to us and we always have done. We see them as an extension of us um, as a team and we've always retained that and so the conversation is relatively easy at the moment because at the end of the day it's a business and we all work for companies that are making money in our businesses and so we have to have that same outlook for them just the same as we do internally.
4: Any pricing model, you've got to go back to fundamentals, which are, can you articulate the value you're providing to the corporation and all the stakeholders? And can you articulate the value you're providing to the end user, the traveler on the end of the phone or the the booker who's receiving the information and all the trip support? And if you can articulate those two components, it's going to help you work out how you price and charge for it. And there will be a, a bit that goes central assuming you can articulate that value and there's a bit that gets paid by the traveler and that's where the subscription bit
0: comes in That's quite interesting on the management fee, obviously that requ- the cost-plus model that's being you know talked about a lot. You pay a, a management fee and then allow the TMC some profit on top of that. But you know, by its very nature, that means that you need transparency about supplier incomes, for example, which we talked about before. Do you think to get back to that stage where we can have management fees that uh, that we do need even greater transparency than right?
3: Yeah, I, I, I share Karen's um, doubts about whether that's the management fee, which should be actually that. that pricing model which comes back because of the the problems with with incentivating the agency the tmc for for lowering costs so it's not a model which is uh, you know because of the percentage base which is really helping cost plus i think it's 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 a fair enough discussion and to karen's point i think it's it's in our interest in customers interest to make sure that there's a minimum amount of resources so there's no risk of of inferior service or uh, just lack of availability of X or Y service. So I think we, as corporates, have a strong interest in making sure that there's a minimum of revenue flowing to the to the TMC for for X or Y service that that is really a must. And in crisis like the, the current one, I think that's uh, that's that's really know something really needed um, because TMCs are really logged into a, a
0: cost reduction spiral. That's very dangerous. Dave, I was going to ask you, how much profit does a TMC need in this cost plus model?
1: Well, I mean, if you look at the, the average profit margin of TMCs is less than 1%, that has put enormous strain on TMCs over the last seven months because they haven't had the always the cash reserves in order to survive in their in the current format. You know, what profit margin is, it largely depends on What service you're delivering, what innovation you need to drive, and what investment you need to make in in, in your business. I don't know what the average profit margin is of amongst the UK PLC as a whole, but what I can say is it's certainly more than 0.8%. I don't think it's kind of fair to say, you know, what profit margin should we have? I've I remember the days of management feedback in the sort of late 90s and we have profit margins of 2 3 4%. The the erosion of management fee following BA's introduction of a, a different pricing model in the early 2000s has actually driven down that profit margin steadily over the years and I don't think that's sustainable. There is a need to go backwards um in, in you know re- review the, the the models we have. I think to the point of you know if you want to have a position where supplier income is very transparent then I think we need to go and, you know, you need to look at the model completely and go, what does, you know, if you look at the gross margin of a, of a TMC, it ranges between 10, 11, 12, 13%. So if you want to eradicate supplier margins, then you need to say, well, okay, well, then that's what our customers need to pay, pay as a, as a percentage of their travel. But that's not going to be something that, um, that flies very quickly at all. Um, the,
4: the gross margin, of, or, or sorry, the margin of one percent. That's it's not quite right though. And, and I, I pardon me, wishes that TMCs would be consistent about how they're reporting their margin, because that one percent is a total tick. Like it's it's comparable to, to a percentage of total ticket throughput. It's like if you're processing a ticket for five thousand pounds, but your transaction fee is ten quid, you're comparing one to the other. And actually, your margin is what, what profit comes out of the 10 quid, not out of the five. It's not comparable to the five thousand pounds. Well, maybe I'm not saying that right, but you get my yeah. point.
1: No, I know what you mean, Paul. Early 2000s, I was a finance director, so I had to kind of have to manage this, and I've had some uh, kind of lively debates with Tony O'Connor down in Australia over, over exactly the same point. I think in the UK the model is, is is slightly different because we need to be profitable. It is kind of one percent of total transaction value, not not at the gross level. But the difference is, you know, in the UK market is generally we have to fund the working capital of carrying all of that travel. So, and that cre- creates the kind of quite. You know, quite a strain on uh, a TMC's balance sheet. So it needs to, it needs to make a healthy profit in order to generate profits to fund that working capital.
4: But is that still true with all the move to virtual and credit card and it's that yeah, percentage has to be going down. You've got to be carrying less of that weight.
1: No, not well. I guess it it like it might depend on the on the type of TMC that you are. Whether you're a mega, maybe there's more of an acceptance around credit cards in the SME space where where we sit. It's very much you know invoice is still the predominant method of payment. We're a very acquisitive TMC. We've done nine acquisitions, and all of those TMCs we buy operate in that sa- in that same kind of space. It's probably different for you know for Nike and EY, who probably run I guess run credit card programs. So there is less financial impact on the, on their TMC to fund travel. But in the SME space, it's quite it's quite the opposite.
0: Now, Paul, um, you mentioned subscription based pricing. I mean, I look at the the music industry to see whether we can get a lead for for the travel industry here. That's not worked out very well for a lot of companies in the music industry. So you look at record labels. Do you think that subscription-based pricing is going to work in the travel sector?
4: So I think I think there's a difference between the pricing working and being attractive to the consumer. And, and whether it causes disruption in the supply chain and the value chain. And clearly in the music industry that, you know, that's what's happening. And I, I imagine there are some artists that say actually it's worked really well. And there's some artists that think it's, it's a real, you know, real problem for them. I mean, certainly subscription pricing has entered our lives. Netflix, Amazon Prime, these are really good examples of where subscription pricing is clear. Uh, even in enterprise. If I look at our internal, uh, systems, cloud systems within Festive Road, they're all subscription based pricing models. Uh, and certainly we had a, um, an insight from Credit Suisse on one of our, um, our, our travel advisory groups that was showing how the subscription price models had really weathered, the, you know, the storm over the last five months so so much better than any other pricing model. So I think there is value in it. I actually um, took the liberty of contacting uh, one of uh, David's competitors. But let's not, not make a habit of this, David. Don't do it the other way back. But um, I went to Blue Cube Travel, who've implemented subscription pricing, and asked all of the pros and cons. And Bex Dedman, the managing director, said there, pros-wise, with one business, clients understand it. It's definitely a bit of a USP at the moment, so it's a door opener, and she believes it offers transparency. On the cons, they're surprised how many in the industry don't really seem to understand what it is and how it differs from management fee. And also, the time isn't right to launch it properly now. There isn't the volumes to kind of really stress test The subscription pricing model but i think it's really interesting and definitely something that needs exploring
1: definitely definitely i mean we've we've won and retained business using subscription models it's not it's not for everyone i mean the key thing is how it's packaged uh and really timing timing is everything you know setting setting levels now where travel is flatlining is a a really really hard sell but i think you know you know looking forward having a an agreed level of service with either an appropriate discount or value added included around subscription fees, as we see in other kind of retail environments, will mean that corporates get the service they want and the TMC get that certainty of income, which is a, which I think is a real, is a real win win. You know, we're a fan of it, but it would be interesting to see how once the, uh, the BTA goes through the, the work with Nina and Pinter, how the buyers at large see it. And I wonder as well,
2: um, Do you think it's for the SME business or do you see it for the major corporates as well? Because that's what I wonder when we put together our business case on subscription modelling, I don't know whether that would be something that we would go after. Perhaps I don't understand it well enough either, but do you see there's a particular market size or customer size that would be best for it?
4: I think there's a case for large corporates. I mean, you know, it might be there's a hybrid. It's part central management fee and then part subscription. Again, going back to that, what can you articulate the value to the corporate and can you articulate it to the individual? I, I tell you where I think the danger is. The danger is where you go, Oh, do you know what? Subscription price is the trendy thing to do. Let's not change our servicing model at all and we'll just overlay a new pricing model. I don't, I think that's dangerous. I think yeah. if you're looking at new pricing models like that, you've got to, again, we keep saying this and these things, go back to the board, whiteboard. Think about where you add real value and then start to bring that through into a pricing model. And if subscription works, then great, do
0: it. Uh, Daniel, what do do you think about the appetite for subscription-based models?
3: Yeah, I think to to Karen's question, I think it's really
0: dependent on the customer, the type of segment, the
3: type of setup. I I can see customers who would be uh, probably willing to pay for that. It depends really on the needs and and how travel is positioned within a business I mean, if, if, if you think of bigger uh, corporates, they typically have cost plus already built in, right? So it's not true that they only run on transaction fees. So you, you could bundle that, but then maybe there could be also an incentivation for companies, for corporates to, you know, to, to, to get an advantage if they actually trade over or if they do much less. So, so kind of a more of a sliding scale, uh, and not just one fixed uh, subscription fee.
0: And is there um, anything you think this consultation should actually look at that that hasn't been sort of raised so far? Is there a sort of an elephant in the room that's that's not been mentioned here? I mean, uh, Paul, you're probably uh, somebody who could spot one of those.
4: I'm good at spotting elephants. I mean, I I think going back to when we did the first uh, this consultation back in 2009, it was really contentious. And you know, because it 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 it's sort of the buyers were challenging based on a a sense of lack of transparency. I I think this is a great chance to have a very open dialogue. To Karen's point, I know you know we keep hammering at home, but it is really important. If everybody is open and honest about you know what they want and uh, what they don't want, then I think we're you know we're gonna this this consultation will end up in a really good place. I, I worry that that some people or, so, or some parts of the value chain or some, some types of organizations may try and hold on to revenue that maybe muddies the water or and, and this was certainly prevalent in the two thousand and nine report, which is why it was so contentious. but you know it needs discussing who you work for and who you 're incentivized by. Um, it's really important to know that you're getting the, the service that you need and the, and the, and, and the right model. And, and that's, it's fine if you want to, to earn your money in a different way. I just think you need to be, you know, open about that. And then the buyer can make their choice. So I think that, that is the elephant that's always been in the room, that transparency. And it is a chance to kind of. To, to take a much deeper and, and better look at it. So I hope it does that. And it doesn't just think of, well, you know, a nice fresh overlay of a different pricing model is what's needed. But, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure with the people involved, it will be nice and, and
0: robust. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out of it. And uh, Karen, do you think buyers are going to engage in this consultation?
2: They should. You know, I think we all have a, an avid interest in making sure that we get this right. And I think that we should be part of it um, to give a perspective, because that's the whole thing we keep saying, isn't it? You know, any lobbying that goes on needs to have all angles of the industry involved. And this is no different. So I think it would be good to have buyers involved um, to give their perspective of it, because then you have the full picture. I'm probably setting myself up now, actually. I'm sure Daniel will be delighted to be involved. <laughs> you'll,
4: you'll get a call from Chris Crowley within a matter of minutes, Karen. But um, you know, I couldn't think of anybody better to feed into the process, to be honest with you. So maybe it is a
0: Daniel and Karen job. Do you think, uh, Daniel, that there's, uh, you know, any different view um, in, in Europe on this? Obviously, you know, UK not being part of it as of this year. So, I mean, do you think there are different views? I mean, you know, obviously it's a global industry and many of the suppliers in, in the business have gone exactly the same way as in Europe as they have here. So do you think there's uh, any more appetite or less appetite there for doing doing something like this?
3: i i I don't know, I think it's it's very similar actually how how customers think about this and and yeah it, it's going you know, come down to the consultancy skills i guess uh, for the of of the TNC as well, like really understanding the the companies that they are working with and also asking the right questions and maybe also uncover opportunities that the buyers themselves they are not aware of that's that's often also the problem. And there's a problem of education and the TMC can actually bring that in uh, with their consultancy skills.
0: Dave, do you have any last thoughts on the issue?
1: Yeah, I think the, you know, the transparency is going to be an interesting one to see kind of how how transparent TMCs are in general. Um I think there's there's a there's a certain skepticism potentially around if we if we if we open up the kimono and say these are all our income streams, will they be under attack as a way to kind of just to drive a lower transaction fee? And so I go back to the kind of the labored point that TMC profitability is very low. You know, what we're looking about is to kind of redress some of that balance. You know, generally TMCs have to do a lot of work for their suppliers in order to generate that additional revenue, but they're under pressure. You know, we've seen that through, you know, if I I look back a couple of years ago at at GDS sector fees, they're a fraction now of what they were because of the various private channel agreements that are in place. You know, that revenue has has been lost and it's had to be made up in other ways, not necessarily going back to the corporate customers saying, I need to increase my transaction fees, loading up certain airlines where we don't receive a, a GDS income stream anymore. But we've had to absorb that because of the competitive nature of the market so transparency fine but it's you know we need to see kind of what it's going to lead to because if it if it if it ends up being tmc's profitability is reduced then no one no one's going to what no one from the tmc community is going to welcome that
4: just on that point dave I mean, I would say that buyers are aware that there are alternative income streams. You know, everyone knows that out there. So actually being, being open about it, I think it just is beneficial for everyone. The second thing is that I, I do think Karen's right. Any buyer worth their salt wants to see a healthy supply chain partner, a healthy, a healthy profit with their TMC. But the, the key to that, to your point, is that you've got to be able to um, recognize where you bring something different and something of value. And if you don't, that's where you end up getting caught in that trap where actually the, the pricing gets commoditized. You're reliant on supplier revenues to bring the money in. And that's where we end up going wrong. You can differentiate yourself. You can bring real value. Then you'll get a good price from the buyer, and then you can ease off that reliance on the supplier revenues, or be completely open about it and ensure it's not influencing how you service the customer. And the buyer may be happy with it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of and that's the downside of transaction fees because there's a tendency to just chuck everything in, and then all of a sudden the really awesome bits of value you deliver just become go in with everything else. And if it's not visible, you can't. It's not valued, and you can't charge for it. So, and that's kind of all part of the professionalism of the TMC, of the TMC industry.
0: Um, we've had some great discussions there, as as always. Um, and um, you know, I think you know what we've recognised that it really is an ideal time to be looking at this now, when when transaction levels are so small. I think you know we're going to have to be, look for more transparency um, in the industry. Whether everybody is willing to do that will remain to be seen. And as uh, as Paul says, you know, TMCs need to be able to demonstrate the the value. That, uh, that they bring to corporates and corporates need to realise which elements they actually want and actually pay a fair price to that so we can retain supply chain viability. So thanks everybody for that and I hope you're all going to be uh, taking part in the consultation and we ask all our, <laughs> our listeners as well to perhaps uh, contribute to that as well. All it remains to me to do is to say thank you to our panellists today and uh, hope you have a great weekend. Thank you everyone. Thanks thank you. Mark. Thank you. Have a good one.
2: Thanks everybody. Oh.